morning. Hey, look at somebody and say, it's good to see you. Come on, don't lie to them like you did last week. Look at them and say, it's good to see you. Now look back at them and say, it's good to see me too, all right? Hey, we're so glad that you're here. My name's Sam. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. And what that means is every single week, I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus and Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. So if you've ever asked the question, what is God like? You don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is this story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about Jesus. We wrote it on the wall if you need some help. And what that means is you're going to need a Bible to follow along. And so if you forgot your Bible, we got you covered. You can borrow one of ours. Uh, Just slip up your hand and one of our ushers will get one to you. If you don't have a Bible, I can't say this enough, take that one, read that. uh, Read it every single day because every time you do, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Three of you think that? Every time you read the Bible, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Hey, turning your Bible to the Gospel of John. If you're new to the Scriptures, you can start in the right and turn left. You'll find it much faster. Or you can go two-thirds of the way through. You'll find some guys' names, Matt, Mark, Luke, and John. And so we're going to be in John chapter 8. And um, we're going to read from verse 12. And let me set kind of the expectation for what's going to happen this morning. It's going to be a little different than, than normal. I'm going to read uh, some passages of Scripture, maybe share some thoughts, maybe wrestle uh, through some things that we all are facing and thinking about. And maybe I can help uh, us and guide us through uh, what the scriptures might say to us in this particular season that we are in, in our culture and in our society. And then, uh, then I'm going to invite the band back up towards the end of the service and we are going to uh, worship and pray. And I'm going to be off to the side and some others will be there. And if you need prayer, uh, we're just going to ask that God uh, would help us. And I know that's, that's kind of all the first service, which is the old school like church over there. Like, yeah, that's exactly what we're going to do. And I was like, the next service is going to be like, wait, we're going to do what? <laughs> right. Uh, and uh, so we're just going to pray and we're just going to believe uh, God for his help because we believe Christianity is far more than ideology or philosophy or even theology where Paul says, I didn't come with enticing words of man's wisdom, but the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. We believe God is alive and that he is our ever-present help in the time of need. And so if you're in need, you have uh, something that uh, God has laid heavy on your heart. We're going to pray towards the end of our service. And uh, I know uh, God is going to do something uh, miraculous in our midst. Amen. Amen. Three of you think that God's going to do something uh, exceedingly abundantly far more than we could ask or think because he's a living God who does great things and a good father gives good gifts to his children. Do you believe that? Amen. Amen. So, hey, turn in your Bible, chapter 8 of the Gospel of John, starting in verse 12. It says, again, Jesus spoke to them. This comes right at the end of a long discourse that he's been teaching in the temple for days now during this festival, this feast. And it comes right after the, uh, the passage we dealt with last week, which was this viral story, this story that's been going viral for thousands of years, which is this woman who's been 
accused and caught in the act of adultery. These men bring her to the midst of Jesus where he's teaching. They interrupt the gathering and they say, this woman's been caught in the act of adultery. The law says to stone such a woman, what do you say? And they set to lay a trap for him and his non-answer and then even his uh, brilliant answer begins to shine light on the entire situation. He says these words that maybe if you've not even read this story, you've heard these words. It says that he bent down and wrote in the dirt. And he says this, he says, if any of you are without sin, cast the first Stone. Maybe you've heard that in our culture. We say, hey, don't throw stones at me. Or, hey, if you're without sin, you cast the first stone. We use this as uh, kind of uh, an adage that we use. Yet yeah, it's this, this, uh, this answer from Jesus, this brilliant answer that causes all of them, starting with the older ones, because older people are just wiser than younger people. Amen? That goes over really well in the first service. Not... Not as well in this service. Uh, and, and so from the oldest to the youngest, they begin to drop their stones because they realize they've been caught in the snare that they've set for someone else. They are now exposed. And they begin to drop their stones. And Jesus bends down and writes in the dirt again. And then he stands up. Everyone has left. And he's standing there with the woman alone. And he says to her, oh, where are your accusers? Is, does anyone condemn you? And she says, no one, Lord. And then he says these words, which begin to pierce against our modern um, uh, attempts at a new philosophy, a new ordering of how we see people. The idea of there are two groups of people, oppressed and uh, oppressed and oppressed. And so here we see a woman who is seemingly the oppressed, brought by men who are the oppressors. And yet Jesus says this thing that begins to level the playing field on all areas. He says, then neither do I condemn you. But then he says these words, go and sin no more. He does not just simply absolve her of her sins like, hey, I can't believe this happened to you. Uh, I can't believe you were a victim. He says, in this moment, neither do I condemn you, but your life from this day forward, make it different. And then he stands up. This is where we find ourselves. After this moment, he stands up. And again, it says, Jesus spoke to them saying these famous words, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, are you bearing witness about yourself? Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered and said, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written, the testimony of two people is true. You want to underline that, put an asterisk beside of it. The, the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, said, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury and taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. 
So he said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sins. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says where I'm going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below and I am from above. You are of this world and I am not of this world. I told you, I told you that you would die in your sins unless you believe that I am he you will die in your sin. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true. I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the son of man, that term we've been looking at, the Jewish superman, when you have lifted up, he foreshadows and begins to point to his crucifixion. When you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority. We talked about Christ's obedience, what he submits to. That I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Look at verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in me, if you abide in my words, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth, say this with me, and the truth will set you free. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are and who you are to us. I pray that you would begin to show us who you are and that we would see the light of who you are and your light would shine into the darkness of our hearts and the darkness of our hearts could not overcome it that we would not lie to ourselves and say we're in the light and continue to walk in darkness, but we will live in the light and so then we will have fellowship one with another. And you forgive us from all unrighteousness because we have an advocate with the Father. You are speaking to the Father that we do believe in you. We are not left to die in our sins, but we are raised to new life with you. We pray that you would help us, encourage us to see you, to walk in the light of who you are, and to be a beacon of light to those who are lost and looking for the person of Jesus, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. We ask you that everything we say and everything we do would bring glory to you and good to this valley. And everyone said, amen. Uh, as I begin to think about this particular passage and knowing this is where we would go, as in last week um, set the precedent for this, this, uh, this particular text. And I begin to think about what's happening in the text, that these men come to shine a light on who this woman is, but they don't realize that they're standing in the sun. They're standing in the light of who Jesus is, where nothing is hidden and everything is exposed. What an irony that they're coming to expose someone and in themselves are exposed, that something happens when we begin to see the light of who Jesus is is it changes everything it changes our perspective it changes how we see one another how we see ourselves there's something in us that tells us we are to move towards 
the light. And as I was looking at this particular text, I happened to lis- listen to this, this podcast that is right now going uh, viral. And um, this one particular uh, podcast on the Joe Rogan podcast recently, uh, Yomi Park, uh, who is a uh, 20-something North Korean gal who escaped from the regime of North Korea. And she escaped when she was about 14, between the ages of 13 and 15. I'll tell you why there's a discrepancy on what her age would be like in just a moment. But she talks on the Joe Rogan podcast about her experience and her life in North Korea. And then what it was like to escape North Korea. I want to encourage you to go listen to this podcast. I've known about Yomi Park for many years now. Uh, a, a missionary to North Korea has been a part of our church for many years. Had, had kind of told me her story and given me her book many years ago. And it, it's just interesting to me that such a gripping story has not actually made it as mainstream as it should have. Uh, and the stories that she has told are just now kind of piercing the airways and causing people to pay attention to her story. As she began to talk to Joe Rogan, on, and Joe Rogan's podcast is the most famous podcast in the world, the most listened to podcast. And here's this young girl who begins to tell her experience. Joe Rogan, if you're not familiar, is an MMA commentator and, and uh, is someone who's seen grueling, vicious fights live. And yet every time this young girl, this young woman, now this mother, would tell her stories after a bit of her story when it would be Joe Rogan's turn to ask another question he would have to physically take a deep breath and a sigh the weight of her stories would be so heavy that he could barely say another word without pausing and trying to come to grips with all of the truth that she was beginning to say and after story and after story She would talk about starvation as a young child and the mentality that she would have as a young woman just hoping for her next meal. All they think about, if they were to get breakfast, all they can think about is will they have lunch? Maybe dinner will come in another couple of days. Total starvation. Looking around and people are dying, bodies are being piled in the streets and it's a normal thing. She talks about the nightmares she would have as seeing people in immense suffering and having no compassion. It's as if it wasn't in her. She didn't understand the difference between good and evil or dark and light. All she knew was this was her reality. She began to say, as Joe Rogan would take a deep breath, what do you mean? Did you not realize what was going on? And she said, fish don't realize that they're in water. This is their life. And she would talk about these things and these grueling stories. I'll spare us from the details. I would encourage you to go listen to her story. Read her book, In Order to Live, by Yomi Park. And yet, people have a hard time with these stories because they are so real. There was something that she said in her story, though, that that caused me to think about where we are in our passage. As Jesus says, I am the light of the world. What does it mean for Jesus to be the light of the world? And what is it in us that we move towards the light? Something tells us, and that's what it told her. 
She began to talk about they didn't realize where they were, that this was all there, that there was more than what she was experiencing until uh, they would see the bright lights coming from China. She had moved to a border town and she could see the lights off in the distance. That was her only clue that maybe there was something beyond the reality that she was living in. See, North Korea is one of the darkest places on the planet and if you were to look at it from a from a satellite at night you would see all of the electricity that is illuminating the planet and then you would see a dark spot that is North Korea that many people most of the people the lower class do not have electricity one of the most darkest place on the face of the planet and yet when she moves to a border town what she sees is there's light off in the distance and something tells her to move towards the light she tells stories about what it was like to escape from north korea See, I think there is something in us that tells us to move towards the light and run towards the light but then the gravity of her situation also gives caution and warning to where we are in our society today because she went from facing starvation in North Korea to escaping to China where she would be immediately sold into human trafficking. Her mother would be sold, she would be sold, and for the next two years she would be moved around to trafficker to trafficker. And that what appeared to be salvation as a light had actually become just another nightmare. See, oftentimes it's hard to come to grips when the light exposes the truth of reality. And oftentimes when we get exposed to the truth of reality, we oftentimes want to go back into the dark being ignorant and where we were. There's a, a story, I've used this uh, at, in different sermons. It's a, it's a story that Plato writes about Socrates, or, or he writes this story about a conversation that Socrates has with another individual. It's called the Cave of Allegory. You learn it in general psychology. Now many movies are based on this type of uh, philosophy and ideology. It, it kind of goes like this, that Socrates says to a man, says, imagine if there was someone in a cave uh, someone who was strapped to a cave and, and actually chained down in the, in the deep darkness of this cave their entire life. They spent their entire life in chains. And their body would have atrophy in it. They would not be able to walk or move or stand. They would not be able to use their muscles. And let's say there was a fire backlighting the cave so that whatever moves outside of the cave walls outside of the door would cast a shadow on the interior of the cave and so if a bird was to fly at the entrance of the cave there would be a shadow of the bird on the wall and if you were the person strapped to the cave as you would see a lion pass by the cave and it would make a shadow of a lion or maybe a person walks by what would happen is you would begin to believe that the shadows on the cave were actually the objects themselves that when you saw a shadow of a bird you thought that the shadow was the bird itself and not actually the bird. Imagine a life being strapped into a cave and thinking that images that you see are actually the real world. Then imagine that someone comes into the cave and rescues you from this cave, uh, 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 alleviate, uh, alleviates you from your chains, liberates you from your chains and sets you free, but you can't use your legs, your limbs. You're just now starting 
to even know what that means to use your body. And let's say that that person began to drag you out of the cave. It would be an excruciatingly painful experience. Imagine them pulling you out of the cave and, and the cave floor and the rocks would cut you and scrape you. And then imagine making your way to the entrance of the cave where your eyes would see the sun for the very first time and the piercing pain of the sun the first time you actually saw the real world. Socrates begins to ask his, que- his friend a question in this story. He says, if it was that painful to experience and be liberated in order to see what is real, Would the person, once they got out of the cave, having to learn to walk again, dealing with the wounds of being uh, saved from the cave, to deal with the adjustment and learning to walk, learning to see, would that person long to go back into the cave? See, it pierces this, the heart of this conversation around Do we want to know what we know and not want to know what we don't want to know? And when the light of things are shined in, maybe maybe in the modern mythology, you would imagine the Matrix movies, the one character who longs to go back into the Matrix. Or maybe it's Inception, the one who longs to go back into the dream, wants to live in a world that is not real. Yet Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Think about what a child goes through the first time they see light. After they take that deep breath and they cry, you're waiting for that moment as a parent that their eyes will clear and they will open their eyes for the very first time. When did you open your eyes for the very first time? See, the Bible begins to tell us a story about what truly life is. And life is knowing the person of Jesus, coming into the light of who he is. When we are born again and we see things differently from a different perspective, remember what that was like when you first met Jesus? Remember what that was like when you opened your eyes for the first time? Maybe that was a painful experience. I know it was for me. How about you? There was joy, but there was also difficulty discipline and devotion, realizing that that light of who he is would shine into us and show a contrast between me and him. There would be things that I would have to adjust. There would be things that I would have to do differently. There would be a a painful, there would be relationships that I could no longer have. There would be experiences and things that my flesh would desire that I would have to say no to. And yet oftentimes people will have to wrestle with the question, what if I just go back into the ignorance of not knowing the light. Will I continue to walk in darkness? John will write a letter to the church, the same author, and he will say this. He says, if you say you're in the light, but continue to walk in darkness, the truth of God is not in you and you've made God a liar. But if you are in the light as he is in the light, then you are forgiven of all unrighteousness and you have fellowship one 
with another. See, the light helps us see others more clearly, and it helps sees our, see ourselves more clearly. This is exactly what's happening as the woman is caught in the act of adultery, and yet these men come to condemn her. They are all exposed. They again see themselves different. They see her different. All of a sudden, relationships change when we begin to walk in the light and we cannot be people of the dark no matter how painful it is for us to go towards the light to walk in the light no matter how difficult or what it costs us we must be people who are in the light and Jesus begins to contrast this with truth he says that actually light and truth are one in the same. That's why John opens his book and he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the word was the light, the light of men and the light shines into the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. John begins to take the word, the logos, knowledge, truthfulness and he combines it with light that truthfulness shines into the darkness and cannot overcome it and this is synonymous with our culture what happens in the cartoons when the cartoon has a brilliant idea what pops up beside of them a light bulb right you see the light went off I have an idea I feel I've discovered something see something in you knows that in order to be a person of the light you have to be a person of truth see what was synonymous with Yomi Park's reality is she was living in a world that she had been lied to living in a world she knows that there's utter darkness there's spiritual darkness and lies create this type of darkness truthfulness is not in this regime people who begin to hold themselves up as gods and little gods and yet from her perspective she doesn't know what how old she is she she didn't know that there was a reality outside of this totalitarian regime what she's told to is that, that actually her, uh, her supreme ruler is God and, and she, he's given his son to them. They copy the Bible because there's something in that truthfulness yet corrupted and distorted and changed. The reason why people begin to discredit her and even try to find ways Mainstream media did not interview her until she spoke out in a way that was against the party they were writing against. Yet people don't know her story. People said, oh, she's a liar. Why? Because she said in one thing she was 13, and then she turned around and said she was 15. Well, the reason why is because if you're born in the fall in North Korea, and you're born, the day you were born, you're a one-year-old. And then when December rolls around and the first of the year comes around, that baby who's just a few months old, once they turn the corner of December, they are now two years old, even though they may just be six months old. And so the two-year gap of her being 13 or 15, people, she does not know the truth of who she is, of who God is, of who this regime is. Blinders have been put on, and yet it was something off in the distance, light showing her that if I just went towards the light, can I just say this synonymous with Christianity? 
See, Christianity is not staying out of the dark. Christianity is not compartmentalizing your sin, dealing with your sin, trying to fix your darkness will not work, friend. Christianity is not staying out of the dark. Christianity is running towards the light. Christianity is pursuing the person of Jesus who says, I am the light of the world. And yet we find ourselves in a position today, friends, that we have to wrestle with what the truth of who God is exposes. What we, where we get to, Jesus begins to say, I expose, I am the light, I'm from above, you're from below, you judge what you know because you're of this world, but I'm not of this world, I transcend above it. And your question is, will you try to fight with tactics? Will you see from a worldly perspective or will you see the light of who Jesus is that transcends above all things? Because we were never made for this world friend and that's good news someone should say amen to that he he gets in this argument with these Pharisees who quickly say wait a second you're bearing witness of yourself and so what their meaning is 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 that the judgment of one is not valid they say that Jesus says, you say in your law that the testimony of two is a true judgment. That, that testimony is true. Well, why is that? Why does God even put that, that everything should be established in the witnesses of two or three or the principle being that no one should judge on their own? Someone should say amen to that because people are corrupt. People are Corrupted by power and authority. I know it's really hard to picture that type of situation. But yet the scriptures say that no one person should judge. One, one person should, should, should not be a, a totalitarian leader, regime, a politician, a pastor. No one person is able to judge correctly. That's why the scene of the woman with these accusers is so evident to us that under the light of who Jesus is, everyone stands condemned. Everyone is in need. And unless we believe in what Christ has done, he says, you will die in your sin. You will die thinking that your way is the way that your path, your truth. And it does not matter what your truth is, friends. It only matters what is actually true. It matters. And Jesus says, this is the reality. If you, if you follow me, if you believe in me, then your word will abide in, my word will abide in you. And the truth will set you free. See, this is the, the second I am statement in the book of John. There's, there's, there's seven, and some would argue that there's even eight, where Jesus simply says to the guards who come to take him in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he simply says, I am. And yet there are seven other I am statements besides that one. This is the second. The first one is, I am the bread of life. If anyone eats 
what I give, they will never be hungry again. Yomi Park began to tell Joe Rogan that they never thought about world history, never thought about where they came from or what was true or if there was good or evil or light or dark, all they thought about was their next meal. All they thought about was, uh, am I going to die from hunger? And there, she said there's a, a North Korean proverb that says, um, everyone, something uh, on, the, on the lines that no one cares beyond a full belly, that if they die with a full belly, then that's all a North Korean could hope for. And yet Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And John puts it after I am the bread of life. See, what he's saying essentially is that you can be so filled on the person of Jesus that you become free. See, when you're hungry, you're bound by your hunger. You're bound to only see limited to what you crave, what you desire, what you think will make you full, whether it's relationships, money, or sex, or fame, or fortune. You will be captive. And yet he says, I am the bread of life. If you eat of me, you will be so full that you will be free. If you're worried about someone taking your freedoms, friends, if you're worried about someone taking control of you, the Bible says that you can be so full and free that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So live as free men and women who could never be bound. Why? Because they are already full. So that's pretty good preaching, Pastor Sam. Somebody say amen to that. You can be so full that you're actually free. See, psychology would say the chief end of man is to avoid suffering at all cost. That something in us tries to move towards our comforts to move towards uh, satisfying our bodies, to move away from discomfort. That, that's the sinful nature of our flesh. It's pushing you towards making life easy, navigating away from difficulty, moving away from the blinding light of truth and moving towards your own comforts. You'll rally for it. You'll protest for it. You, you'll become an activist for your own comforts. Yet the West, Westminster Catechism which is, is to help us understand, do we understand what the scriptures are showing us? To be catechized is to begin to know, do you understand what the Bible is saying? The Westminster Catechism says, if there is an end from a biblical perspective, if man has a end, his end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That actually what you'll find is in the difficulty, in the suffering, in what is hard, what can be piercing, but what is real and grabbing on to the bread of life will actually satisfy your soul in such a way that you will glorify God and all men will see your good works and they will glorify your God who is in heaven. But if constantly we move towards convenience rather than towards the cross, we will miss what Jesus actually has in store for us. I am the light of the world. And if anyone believe in me, he will not live in darkness. 
and his, God's word will abide in us and the truth will set us free. As the band's coming back and we prepare our hearts to, to pray, let, let me, what are the implications of this, this passage in light of where we are today? See, people say to me all the time as we're facing the cultural and societal difficulties of mask mandates, vaccine passports, or vaccine mandates for employers, as we see people trying to use fear in order to control, you have to ask yourself a lot of very difficult questions. And yet we come to a place where we have to wrestle with the text and we have to ask ourselves, are we people of the truth? Even if it's painful, even if we get moved towards difficulty, even if the blinding light of the truth hurts, we will not long for convenience back in the cave being blinded to the realities and woes of other people that we may be the representations of Christ, that Jesus will say, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that people may be in the dark and actually see the light of who you are and come towards the person of Jesus. But yet, here's the reality, is the Bible tells me that the enemy can, can display himself as an angel of light. I think about Yomi Park's story of seeing China off in the distance and escaping a totalitarian regime to move into Mao's communist China where she's sold into slavery? What she thought would be salvation actually brings freedom? Or what she thought would be salvation actually takes her freedom? What she thought would be freedom? I don't have any persuasions and this isn't to condemn anyone. But recently on YouTube, there's ads for the casino and this is ads all over the place for any casino, but I thought the phrasing was very interesting that an ad for a casino would say, welcome to freedom. What a choice of words. So we have to be sober-minded that what you think will bring you freedom can be the very thing that imprisons you into a cave of darkness. I have people tell me all the time, they say, Sam, what's going on right now is biblical. I go, really? How so? Maybe you've got the email chains. Maybe you've had people say things that go, hey, what, what's going on with what we're facing right now? is biblical. Can I, can I just stop us for a second and, and say that that is a profoundly arrogant position. Here's why. The Bible is not a story about you. Light bulb. And that's good news. The story is to you and for you, but it's not about you. It is all about Jesus.
So be careful that what you say to other people, what you propagate, that you be a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed that you can rightly divide truth, that you don't send email chains and you don't text people and you don't, hey, this is biblical and we need to do this or we need to do that. And not actually study the truth of God's word and have his word abide in you that the truth might set you free. And the truth is this, that in life or in death, God will be glorified. Hebrews says that there's a group of people that the world was not even worthy to know their name and they love not their lives even unto death. Paul would say to live is Christ, but to die is gain. For God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. You have to ask the question, what are you afraid of? Because death, where is your sting? Oh grave, where is your victory? You have no hold on me. Do those words abide in you and the truth that there is a kingdom that is not of this world and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the praise of God the Father from the person of Jesus Christ. Does that live in you? Is that the light that you walk in? The good news of the gospel, our God has become king and you are free people. Live as such. Speaking the truth in love, living as no one can control you. And I tell you what will control you is your fear of man and needing to be liked and popular. You'll be stifled. You'll be afraid. What if the... What if I have conflict? He promises it. But he'll give you bread that they cannot take away. And you'll live in such a way. What about my business? What about your God? What about my comfort? What about his cross? Live in the light. I can tell you there are things that are going on that are biblical. The Bible tells me there are things in the last days that, that will happen and it tells me how to deal with it and what my, my behavior should be like. Paul writes to Timothy, a young pastor, 1 Timothy 1 and 2, I read them and I look at them, I, I think about them often as I'm not as young of a pastor as I once was. Uh, that's funnier in the first service. Uh, I think about what he tells me to do, and this is going to be difficult for us. But then I ask, are we going to be biblical? Or will we be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine? He says this in 1 Timothy chapter 2, it says, First of all, then I urge that supplications and prayer and intercession and thanksgiving be made by all people. Can I tell you what all means in the Greek? All. All people. Supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving be made to all people. You're not going to like this. For kings. 
and all who are in high positions. What? Wait, what? You want me to do what for who? You, you want me to pray for them? Do you know them? <laughs> do I know them? Pray. Who judges all? Who knows all things? He says, pray supplications and prayers be made for all kings and all in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Comfort or glorify God. Comfort across. Moving towards what I want or what he wants that will be a shining light, a beacon of hope that all men may run to and meet Jesus. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God for his glory and our good who desires all people to be saved, to come to the knowledge of truth. Listen, friends, we are not dealing with believers and unbelievers. It's not a matter of Christians and atheists. This is about dead people and people who are alive in Christ. So don't be frustrated when dead people do dead things. Zombies will act like zombies. They will eat each other's flesh. They will lie on one another. They will consume one another, but not so with you. But remember when you two were once blind, when you were lost, but now you see. So live in such a way that people may move from death to life. But if you don't have life, life that causes you to have hope and love and peace that the world may say, how do they have something different? I want that. They're not running scared. They're not afraid. They're, they're not lobbying for their comforts. They stand strong in the light of the cross of Jesus Christ. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Then chapter 4 of 1 Timothy will say this. Now the Spirit says in the latter times, that's us, some will depart from the truth by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Through, the, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Friends, do not be deceived by the doctrines of demons. There are doctrines of this age. There were doctrines then. There are doctrines now. We talked about one of them, critical theory, critical race theory, which says they're essentially oppressors and oppressed. And those who are oppressed are inherently morally good. And those who are in different positions of power are morally evil. But yet, that is opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ that says there is no one good. No, not one. And all of us will die in our sins unless we see him for who he is. The one who's been given as ransom or payment that we who are guilty might go innocent and free. Someone say amen to that. There's cultural Marxism that's trying to divide our Society, doctrines of demons that try to suggest that you're here, or you're there, or try to reinterpret the Bible, reinterpret stories, 
We have to ask the question, am I consumed by the doctrines of this world, whether it's my conservative ideology that causes me to paint the Bible in a fair light towards me and negative towards everyone else, but I have to realize that sometimes I'm the bad guy in the story. Conservative politics and ideology will not save us, friend. Neither will left-leaning ideologies, government programs. This kingdom is not the answer. It's fleeting. It is fading. You have to ask the question, what do I propagate? What do I say? What do I tweet? What do I text? Is it the good news that Christ is risen and that changes everything? Or is it something else? Chapter 6 of 1 Timothy says this, Teach and urge these things, things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, when these doctrines creep into the church, be careful. If we play to what is popular rather than what is God's principled truth. Teaching according with godliness He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy. Do these doctrines constantly divide? And for quarrels about words which produce envy and dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gains. But godliness with contentment is great gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world and we cannot take anything out of it. Love not this world, your hands will be full. and your heart empty. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. You got food, you got clothes? Praise God who is in heaven and ask your heart for contentment. But those who desire to be rich, not those who are rich, those who desire it. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless, harmless desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Pray for those who are in power, who love money and will not give up their power because it has given them great gain. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Second Timothy chapter three says, but understand this, that in the last days, there will become times of difficulty. Know that. For people will be lovers of self. I know that's really hard to imagine. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Do you, do your truth, do what feels good. 
This is a doctrine of demons. Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep in the households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of truth. Always learning. We are gluttons of data and starve for truth. Friends, if we are people of the light, we are people of truth. Stand all over this place. Here's the reality. Is that it is not for me to give you truth. It's not for me to answer every question about what you should do with this mandate or this government control or this political party or what I should do about this or what I should do. It is your job. It is your responsibility. It's your opportunity to pursue the light of who Jesus is, who helps you through the power of the Holy Spirit to stand firm in the freedom that God has given you and to speak the truth in love that it convicts the hearts of those who continue to walk in darkness. Let his word abide in you. Don't be lovers of yourself. Don't be confused of every philosophy and every ideology. I'm no guru, friend. I don't have all the answers. I'm one man and my judgment is corrupt. Somebody say amen to that. And so is yours. But I'll be a guide. I'll put my boots on beside of you, strap my pack up, and we'll journey together because in the coming days, we have a lot of decisions. People are asking the question, am I going to lose my job because of what I believe? What about my kids and their school? What's going to happen? People are worried. People are anxious and they're asking the question, what shall we do? We pray. We give thanks. We intercede. We stand firm, arm in arm, not being deceived by winds of doctrines, but standing firm to the truth of who Jesus is. And no matter what comes our way, we will have hope. We will not be afraid, friends. Someone say amen to that. I say, why aren't you afraid? Because God has not given us a spirit of fear. We will no longer be afraid of sickness or disease. Afraid of human interaction, of embrace, a hug, a handshake, praying for the sick. We will not be governed because we are free. Free to live in such a way, not using our freedom for sinfulness, but using it for godliness, that people may see our good works and glorify God who's in heaven. But all men, so here's the reality. We're going to sing. We're going to pray. We're going to lift our hands. If you need to go grab your child, you can do that. We're going to pray. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna worship for a few moments. Take your time. Here's what we're going to do. Here, here is... The mandate, you are to pray. You are to give thanksgiving. 
In the Greek, it means all people, so that means you. So this isn't a a spectator sport. This isn't I come consume and observe. You are a part, all men. So then we have to be that. This isn't something that you observe. It's something you are a part of. And so we're going to pray. We're going to begin to sing. We're going to lift our hands. We're going to ask God to do something great. And then here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be off to the side. If you need prayer, if you have sickness in your body, if you're anxious, if you're afraid about what's going to happen, God does not give fear. He brings peace. We're going to pray. We're going to lay hands on people. We're going we're to speak God's truth, and the power and presence of the Holy Spirit is going to help us move forward. Amen? Will you just sing? Will you just pray?